0: Slash Simmons.
1: Welcome to today's episode of Beyond the Arc. My name is Kevin O'Connor, and joining me today is the Ringer Search Sohi. Seerit, how are you doing today?
2: I'm excited. I'm really excited. Summer League coming up. We got like the last few free agent signings that we're watching out for. it to be a great show today.
1: Let's start off there with some yeah. of those lingering free agents. There's a couple guys left that really stand out. Grant Williams, P.J. Washington, both restricted free agents. Last week on Beyond the Arc, I detailed Iodo Sunmu as one of my favorite kind of next Bruce Brown free agents. And then unrestricted guys, Kelly Oubre, bigger name from Charlotte last year, averaged 20 points. Granted, it's a small sample. And then Christian Wood, who I've liked a long time, hasn't been in the right situation necessarily. Things didn't work out with Dallas. There are some teams that have their full mid-level exception still that could make signings the nets the hornets the grizzlies the blazers the wizards and the hawks could too the hawks are unlikely though because they'd go into the luxury tax but those teams have their mid-level which is 12.4 million the spurs still have cap space over 20 million dollars the rockets magic pacers could create cap space as well depending on how some of their other deals are configured let's play a little bit of like free agent matchmaker here of those names, Grant Williams, P.J. Washington, and the others, do you have a favorite fit for the teams that either have cap space or their mid-level still available?
2: Yeah, well, if you ask me, my favorite, you know, I'm starting with Grant Williams. I'm like the number. No, I'm actually like the number two Grant Williams fan on the ringer, oh, yeah? thanks to Michael Pena. I didn't think that there he was a bigger one. fan than I. I was, but uh, I want to. I want to send to Memphis. I think he'd be a perfect fit there, uh, especially because, like, we know that Brandon Clark's not going to be back for at least the first half of the season. He could fill that role. I think he's their type of guy, too. But, like, they could also use a little bit of niceness. They need, they need some toughness, but also with a smile. Uh, he's a great talker on defense. He fits the culture, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, I'm going Grant Williams to, to Memphis.
1: I like that mm-hmm. I like that a lot I wonder though with Boston you know everything that's going on right now they haven't signed Jalen Brown mm-hmm. you know my you know I know Jared Weiss reported on the athletic am, am, among others who have said the Celtics just want to handle the Grant Williams situation first I wonder if Boston they'll probably match the mid-level at 12.4 million but I wonder if they're w- wondering if uh you know San Antonio with their cap space could come in and offer closer to 18 19 20 million dollars for Grant Williams but with San Antonio I don't love the fit. For Grant Williams, because they are they just drafted in the second round, City Sissoko. They have Jeremy Sohan, a great young rookie, and those guys kind of play that you know three, the four position, depending on if there's one other big on the floor with Victor Wembanyama. They can play next to him, like Sissoko and Sohan are the perfect guys at the four when you're playing a little bit smaller and more versatile next to Wemby. So with San Antonio, I don't know if they're a real threat. I wonder if Boston just ends up matching anything. That gets offered for Grant Williams, which is probably why we see Dallas go for Matisse Thibel instead of Grant Williams.
2: I kinda like the San Antonio fit, honestly. Uh I more totally of the hear same. what you're saying. It's yeah. a little bit more yeah, it's it's more of the same in a way, but at the same time, I think Grant Williams is obviously a lot more proven. I love his floor spacing. I also think, and we'll get into this later, but like, man, like when I watch when I watch Wemby, uh the only thing I really worry about in terms of him getting targeted is just some of those bigger heavier guys so having a guy like grant williams on the roster to just switch on to those guys provides some insurance um and he also fits you know like he's a young player um and i think uh, man i i really i really wonder how he would do with pop you know mm. it's like i feel like because of how much how active he is, how much he talks, how, I guess, how many suggestions he has. I feel like Grant idea, <laughs> Grant is kind of like an ideas man, right? Like, I wonder how that would fit with pop. I think it could be kind of fun. But to your point, though, I was a little bit surprised that Dallas went with Matisse Seibel, but I actually really like it as well because uh you mentioned guys that could be the next Bruce Brown. I think Matisse Seibel is like, is a great fit for that type of role. Uh We obviously know he's an incredible defender. He can guard pretty much like any perimeter player in the NBA. He was an all offensive
1: guy just two years ago.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Fell out of the rotation with rivers. And you know, I feel like an offensive game that was already sputtering in Philadelphia. Then when he was just like getting tugged in and out with rivers, he was overthinking even more than ever and looked just completely lost out there. But then when he got to Portland, he's been shooting 38% from from three ever since on way more attempts too and he just looks more he looked more free out there so I think it's like I think if he ends up in Dallas it's a great fit because he'll be playing around Luka and Kyrie he's gonna get plenty of open
1: shots and there's gonna be plenty of space for him to cut into as well I think that's a great a great point with him being kind of like that next Bruce Brown type of guy. He can be that screener like Bruce Brown. He's a cutter, he's a smart player, great defender. And with Dyble, I think, you know, with Philadelphia, that element with Doc Rivers is hundred percent true. Doc did not trust Dyble and mm-hmm. Dybel did not have confidence playing for him at all. And I think that affected him with the, his performance for the Sixers, whereas with the Blazers, like he said, he shot 38% from three, the best he ever did. In his career, you know, if you want to look at all the years he's been in the NBA, it's still only 33% on spot-up three-pointers, so it's not great for him in his career, but the the work he's put in, I, maybe maybe he can at least get to 36 37% over a full season, and if he's at that point with Dallas – with everything else that they have after the offseason they had. They, they drafted Derek Lively and uh, Omax Prosper. They signed Seth Curry, Dante Exum, re-signed Kyrie Irving and Dwight Powell, and now they have the offer sheet into Matisse Thibel. They're kind of building out these tough, versatile wing players with Omax Prosper. He's awesome. I loved him in college. Tough, you know, versatile guy. Now with Thibel, that's what you want around Luka. Lively, that lob threat, rim protector type of player. Seth Curry, the shooter, getting him back to Dallas. I-, I think Dallas has had, you know, a really, really strong off season considering the tough situation that they are in with a lack of assets. I, I-, I think they've taken a big step up around Luca.
2: Yeah. Uh, I feel like they kind of, given the fact that they were just baked into the Kyrie Irving situation, that's the one place I have a bit of a contention with, which... You know, it is what it is. They traded for him. They didn't want to lose him. Um, I thought the experiment was pretty much over as soon as it began, uh, in my opinion. But they don't believe in sunk cost fallacy, I guess. So they re-signed him. I can't believe he got a player option.
1: Uh, That is absolutely hilarious Which we'll probably accept at that point. Maybe not, though. Maybe he restores all his value.
2: I, I just feel like, why give Kyrie Irving options? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> this is, like, why give him security, you know? like That's this when is,
1: things go wrong. <laughs>
2: exactly. Like, this is a guy that, like, if they signed him to, like, a, a one plus one, I would understand that. Especially, like, as we know, there were really no other bidders for his actions, like, for, for his contract, you know, like... Kyrie, heard about- Kyrie
1: did not like our boss Bill Simmons saying that. He didn't. <laughs> no, he responded to him on Twitter. Oh, I didn't see that.
2: <laughs> I did not see that. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, like they manufactured the Houston one, which, as we saw with mm-hmm. with Harden, like yeah, yeah. just not a lot of truth to that. Like they just went and paid Fred VanVleet, and it seems like that was like their plan. So yeah, it, with Dallas, like that was the one part I look at and say like they're acting with too much desperation with that contract. I think like at the end of the day you offer him less you offer him less years and if he truly says like okay i'm going to walk like you live with it um that's you, it
1: i think you had to bring him back uh, yeah. I, I think I, I think with kyrie you're you're retaining the the highly valuable on court player and you gave up so much to get him you're you're banking on it working out and if things don't work and you're in a position where in a year or two, he, he has far few years left on his contract that can be used as a, an expiring or a near expiring deal with the picks that you'll eventually get as the years go by. So I think for Dallas, you, you just don't, you're in with Kyrie, like like it or not, the, that, the mistake happened in February if you don't like it. But at this point, it's like you're just in, you're in.
2: Honestly, like I was looking at it like if they didn't resign Kyrie, they would have just had a whole bunch of cap space. Like maybe you throw yourself into the Van Vliet sweepstakes. Maybe you go after Draymond Green and kind of just like build your team in a completely different way and get Luca playing faster again. So I thought they had more options, but overall, like you said, they had a great offseason despite that. And they still have a traded player ex-
1: uh, exception too. So $17 million. Yeah. Right. So I think with that, that deal they made on draft night, that gives them some flexibility to get interesting. Like they could even theoretically go after a, a Grant Williams, a PJ Washington in a sign and trade situation with Boston or Charlotte respectively. Probably something they save over the course of the season. But with P.J. Washington, talked about him last week on the Beyond the Arc, one of my favorite free agents again, just his versatility as a two-way guy. Of all these teams, you know, Brooklyn, Charlotte, Memphis, Portland, Washington, San Antonio, I I feel like P.J. Washington is somebody that could fit on any team at all. And I'd love to see him go to like a a post-Dame Blazers team where they kind of are a clean slate. They re signed Jeremy Grant, and you add PJ Washington to that equation could allow him to play some small ball five. You can play him at the four with Grant. I just think suddenly the Blazers would have like a really nice foundation for Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp and Anthony Simons and you know all their young guys to kind of you know operate around. Because I also PJ Washington is a young guy. He'd be part mm-hmm. of that future for them as well.
2: I love that fit. I love that fit. I think he's just such a great yang to all the guards that they have. He's a great defender. Um, I think he'll probably end up going back to Charlotte if it's just going to be they the mid level. Like they well, have to. It'd be silly if they, they have match. to. But now that you said that, I kind of, you know, it, I, I, and honestly, like I feel like it's kind of a bargain too. Like him at the mid level, he's such yeah. a great player. He's so versatile. He can do so many things. So um, yeah, I feel like he's just going to end up back there.
1: To me, he's a $20 million player. He should get that much. What do you think about, you know, destinations for Christian Wood, Ioto Sumu, either of those guys?
2: Uh, So I feel like Christian Wood would be really good in Brooklyn. He, they just, they need somebody to eat up some touches and score some points. And that was kind of the biggest problem in Dallas with him Mm -hmm. is like, he wanted more touches and they just didn't really have them for him. It's a Luka-centric offense and just wasn't going to go that way. But I think with the perimeter guys that the Nets have, they're not quite as ball dominant. They're going to be much better set up men. Like they can space the floor around him. Um I don't love it as like a long-term fit for them by any ma- means. Like Christian Wood is not a guy that I look at and I say like, "Wow, I need him on my team." I just think that the way that he He seems to just want to grow out his offensive game. I think he can be a plus defender. I don't think that he has, like, the intelligence to be a, like, lockdown, be your rim protector guy, but you put him next to Nick Claxton, and I'm not so worried about that anymore. Um, And he spaces a floor, too. So I I think that's a good fit, but I'm also just, like, There is no Christian Wood fit that I look at, and I'm like, wow, this really just excites me a lot.
1: You know, with Christian Wood, it's it's interesting because I think with him, you know, he signs with Houston hoping to play with James Harden. Harden, you know, blasts his way out of there and goes to Brooklyn. He goes to the Mavericks playing with Luka. It feels like a great fit on paper, and in some respects it was. Mm -hmm. He played better than he ever had. It, that situation was not great, though. Jason Kidd didn't have didn't trust him. They were trying to get minutes for all their other bigs: JaVale McGee, Dwight Powell. It just felt like Wood never had a consistent role, and part of that is because of the inconsistent defense that you're talking about with him. He's never been a steady lockdown guy. The, the effort has wavered. Offensively, though, I still think with Christian Wood, there's something there, and and I want to see him. You've, in a,
2: you've been early on him since he was yeah. in Detroit.
1: I've yeah. really liked Christian Wood, so I think with with him. I look at some of those teams, and I don't like any of the fits. Part of me kind of hopes he does a massive gamble on himself and goes to a team that either has uh, the the taxpayer mid-level for lower money or goes to a team that can even just do the minimum. A team that's in a winning situation. Like, if he goes to the Heat post-Dame acquisition – Where he can play the five next to Bam Adebayo, who's the really your perimeter defender. Wood being the shot blocker, or he can go to the Lakers, play next to Anthony Davis over the course of the full regular season, and then during the playoffs, sometimes he's the backup five. Those are the situations I'm thinking about where Christian Wood could go from you know one year league minimum or just you know tax mid level guy to oh he finally was in a situation where he could completely prove himself as a player, and that's what all you can ask for for some of these guys. Who are left on the market at this point? Ioto Sumu for the Bulls. He's only entering his third season. First year, he's great shooting threes. Second year, not so much. First year, he's awesome defensively. Second year was a little bit more up and down for the Bulls. But I still think with him moving forward, like he could go up to any of these teams mm-hmm. and he could get opportunities. What about with Kelly Oubre, our last guy on the list here? Is there a good fit for him? So
2: I know you mentioned he's a 20-point-per-game scorer. I feel like he was like a vacuum that wasn't actually ready to be a vacuum. The efficiency was so bad. He shot 32% from from three on, on catch-and-shoot threes. Um 36% on wide open three, so I'm not exactly even looking at it like, oh, I'll throw him onto a team where he's not gonna have to play as much of a role and he'll be good in that. Like I feel like he has always kind of been stuck in in like no man's land. He's not quite a three and D role player, but he doesn't he's not a strong enough shot creator to be, you know, even your your sort of guy off the bench. I feel like that's probably his best role, being a sort of six man guy. So I d don't love him for anybody, honestly. Um yeah, and I grit my teeth and say, Brooklyn, just because they could use some wing depth. But I don't. Yeah, just—it's like the Christian Wood thing. I maybe, maybe you're more of an optimist than I am. Maybe like can make me see things a little bit differently I, with Kelly, Kelly. You're not a Kelly I, Uber I, optimist, Kelly okay? okay fan, yeah, we're on the same page.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> he's, he's too inefficient. <laughs> when we're back, we'll talk about Damian Lord.
0: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. See website for details.
1: Today's July 6th, which this is an important day in the NBA. The moratorium ends, which means teams are officially able to make all these signings that we've been hearing about throughout this month. It's also important with Damian Lillard because Max Struess would be going to a sign and trade to the Cavaliers, Victor Oladipo, and a trade to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And why that's important, great, great hoopshype.com writer. Yossi Goslin, who does salary cap stuff, he had a series of tweets and he wrote an article about it saying how this day is important because for Miami and their hopes of getting Damian Lillard, there's a 17 trade scenario that is eligible that would allow Portland to take on no money and create a 40 plus million dollar exception, a traded player exception. The way it would work is these unofficial deals. Miami has the unofficial deal with the OKC Thunder. They have the unofficial deal with a three-way with the Cavs getting Struce and then the Spurs. Brooklyn has an unofficial deal with the Pistons. If you combine all those deals, the Heat could give up just Hero to the Nets, who don't have to give up any more salary already trading Joe Harris. Oladipo and Struce. that's enough money to take on Dame. The Nets, like I just said, don't have to take – Give up any more money than than Joe Harris to take on Tyler Hero, and at that point, it would work financially. That might be a little too crazy for you. That might be like seven team deal. Have we ever had a seven team deal in NBA history? But the biggest deal in NBA history is a five team, twelve player deal by Pat Riley in the Miami Heat way back in the mid two thousands when they got Antoine Walker.
2: So we're saying Andy Ellisberg might be able to get this done. Maybe
1: so. Even if that's too unrealistic, yeah. too much of a pipe dream. And tomorrow, it's just the normal sign and trade. Stros goes to and Oladipo goes to OKC. The Oladipo one still has an interesting wrinkle in it, where maybe it's something involving just OKC. And the reason why, again, Yosi had a tweet about this last year. OKC and Miami made a deal, where within the deal, the Heat they had a a, a future first round pick going to the Thunder that was protected from like twenty twenty three through 2026. That pick the the protections were changed to just 2025, allowing the Heat to trade other first round draft picks. The Thunder still have that protected 2025 first round draft pick, which is why right now the Heat can only trade two future firsts. One of the hurdles in the deal for Damian Lillard. They just don't have enough. Mm-hmm. They could, in theory, instead give up their 2030 first-round draft pick unprotected to the Thunder to get back that 2025 protected pick, allowing them to instead trade three first-round draft picks to the Blazers instead of two for Damian Lillard. They could give their 24, their 26, and their 28. So there's some random crazy stuff that could happen today allowing the Miami Heat to give more to the Blazers to get a Damian Lower deal done, just something to watch for. I that's, know
2: <laughs> that's kind of interesting, but then I look at it, I'm like, would I rather have their 2030 pick, or would I rather have, you know, two two picks from that are going to be much more recent? You know.
1: Well, I mean, so the for for Portland the the future picks wouldn't make a difference as much. It would still be the 2028. Would you rather have the twenty thirty or you're saying the twenty four and the twenty six? Yeah, you're saying you might rather have the twenty thirty instead of the twenty four and the twenty six. Yeah, well, considering right.
2: how competitive they are right mm-hmm. now, and I that, mean, by twenty thirty, maybe they're just in a different regime,
1: yes. right? And and that's like the interesting thing here yeah. for Portland. Maybe you would rather have the twenty thirty <laughs> instead of twenty four yeah. and twenty because that twenty twenty four is uh, with Damian Lillard, Bam bio, Jimmy Butler. That would be in the twenty five to thirty range in all likelihood, unless something goes seriously wrong for the Heat, whereas the 2030, here's the thing with the Heat picks. Around the league, you talk to people, the, the valuable picks that could be moved are like those Suns picks with all their age, mm-hmm. the Mavs picks in the future because nobody knows where Luka's going to go when his free agency hits. They already traded one of their future picks. The Heat picks? The Heat never stink. Yeah. Even after they even lost when LeBron. when they yeah. yeah. When yeah. they lost LeBron, they won 37 games, and granted, they still had other guys. They never really went into a full-on mm-hmm. rebuild. They never do.
2: Wasn't the last really bad season they had the one year that Dwayne Wade got hurt? Yeah. I, I and they got the so. Michael Beasley pick. Yeah. That was two thousand eight.
1: For sure. And they're not gonna let that happen in a year where they don't have their own first round draft pick. So people around the league don't think those future hit heat picks are all that valuable. So maybe you would rather have the two. But at the same time, I, I still think from Portland side of things here, you wrote about that this week on the ringer. How with Damian Lord he shows loyalty for years mm-hmm. to the Blazers. And now he's in this position where he has a team that he wants to go to. He wants to go to Miami. That is his number one preference. It is his only preference. It's where he wants to play. But the Blazers have their own business to take care of as well, and they need to set up a bright future around Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp and all their young talent. It, it, can you kind of talk me through some of the stuff you wrote about this week, what it went into your mindset as you were writing? Because it was a very good article. It was great.
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, so basically, I just wrote about how – Loyalty doesn't really earn you anything in the NBA. Um, I think I was a little too hard on the Blazers, and maybe it took away from the overall point, which is that like it can earn you memories, and maybe Dame, if you if he looks back at his career, he would do everything the same just because of the type of guy he is, the things that he values, and that's completely fair. That's his decision. But when you look at the situation that he finds himself in now, <laughs> like it is... Unless Miami really, you know, they they really pull something off, I like that three-pick idea. It's still like, but to your point, though, you're still kind of asking the question of would you rather have those two picks? I think we are starting to underrate Tyler Hero a little bit. Like we went from overrating him to now. We're like, why would you want Tyler Hero back? Like he was, look, he's really good. He's, he's good. 20, yeah. And maybe <laughs> like
1: Brooklyn as a third team gives up an extra first sure. and then it turns into four first round draft picks and Jovic. And you can say you got five back for Dame and maybe a swap. So five and a swap. You know, sure. You, th- you th- throw Highsmith at, in there. Yeah.
2: I think also like maybe to get this done, like you just got to be, you got to put Caleb Martin in there. Maybe. Um. I think that could actually just be what it maybe comes down only to. At Twenty-seven the end the
1: years old. You know, yeah. You could flip him for another first come deadline time if you're Portland. Potentially. Yeah, absolutely.
2: I think any contender would love to have him. Mm-hmm. Uh. So there, there are options from Ami, but the piece was essentially just about the fact that. He is in this situation now because he decided to commit to the Blazers. He has a ton of years left on his contract. He signed an extension. He basically gave up Power and leverage for loyalty, for security, for stability, for money. Of course, for a lot of money. A lot of money. So he'll be making sixty money. plus yeah. million dollars. A lot in the of money. Year. But honestly, <laughs> money that the Blazers were gonna have to give him yeah. if they wanted to keep him. There wasn't really mm-hmm. a choice there. they were gonna have to pay him that much. Otherwise, he probably would have not extended then. And then we're probably having this conversation a couple of years ago. We probably should have had this conversation a couple of years ago for the good of both sides. But I've been thinking about the situation that Dame is in. And Dame is a good guy. He has a lot of character. He loves to play basketball. He's talked about how he plays for the love of the game. And one of the things that's alienated him from the modern NBA is just the fact that it doesn't seem like a lot of players are thinking about that first and foremost. And he understands the business side of it and stuff. And like he has said, too, like one of the things that he loves about the NBA now is just the amount that you can... You know, build your brand and, you know, gain financially as well. Like, the player power aspect of it is not lost on him. But he's a little bit more of an old school guy. But as a result of that, he finds himself in this situation. And I've been thinking about that, like, kind of juxtaposing it with the James Harden situation. Where he is not that guy. This is his third trade request (laughs) now (laughs) in three years. Um, And... If you're Utah, for example, and you're thinking yeah. about trading for Damian Lillard, you are probably going to factor in the fact that this is a guy who will grit it out and play, even if he ends up in a situation where he, he doesn't want to be.
1: He went to college there. That's a Weber good point. State. He that's goes back point. once a year all the time for the basketball camp at his alma mater.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So maybe maybe Utah is not like necessarily a place that he wouldn't want to play, but any franchise in the NBA can be looking at it and saying, well, he'll probably end up playing kind of in the same way that Kawhi Leonard didn't want to go to Toronto, but he ended up playing, right? He wins A championship, and he wins a championship. He makes the best of it, and they make the best of it. You know, James Harden, on the other hand, we have seen what he does. <laughs> no. when he doesn't get what he wants. <laughs> like we watched, we watched that Sacramento mm-hmm. game, and like we we have seen him like just come into training camp completely out of shape. So it puts a lot more pressure, I think, on Daryl Morey to. Make a deal because you don't want him showing up to training camp. And now we have another situation where Joel Embiid's co-star is completely checked out in training camp and looking for a trade. And if you're any other team in the league, you're not necessarily going to be making an offer for James Harden knowing what he might do if you go and get him and he doesn't want to be there.
1: Whereas with Dame, it is absolute nonsense, the reporting about him being an unhappy superstar. You don't want to trade for an unhappy star. You know, all these teams aren't mm-hmm. going to be willing to trade for him because he won't be happy. Dame, if he gets traded to an, another team, whether it's Utah, San Antonio, or even the team that Chris Haynes reported that he doesn't want to go to for sure at the Boston Celtics, mm-hmm. he goes to any of those teams. It's going to happen pretty fast where those fan bases embrace him and those locker rooms embrace him and they're starting to win games and there's buy in. And for like San Antonio, Utah, even New Orleans, those teams can do multiple big moves. If they were to get Dame mm-hmm. for whatever it takes, they'd still have enough assets left over to make another one big move or multiple you know, me- medium-sized moves to kind of bolster their roster and increase their finals chances. Would the roster be as great on paper as Miami would be entering this season? No, it would not be. But I think Dame would find joy in those situations. Mm-hmm. And look, uh, like you said, Kawhi didn't get what he wanted. He goes to Toronto, wins a ring. Paul George didn't get what he wanted. He goes to Oklahoma City. Then he signed an extension before he ended up going to L.A. to join Kawhi with the Clippers. Sometimes, you know, the things that you want, uh, you don't get. And I think for Damian Lord, in all likelihood, Miami's the favorite. They probably will get Damian Lord. But if San Antonio steps up, if Utah steps up, if New Orleans steps up, despite the fact Dame doesn't want to go there, If they want to gamble that, gamble some of their future assets to try to win now, they can, if they want to, top Miami's offer.
0: This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at Viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons.
1: You're in their front office. Are you factoring in at all Dame's wishes into this equation? Are you thinking purely about, we have Scoot Henderson We have Shaden Sharp. We have, we just re-signed Jeremy Grant. We need to think about the future here. Like how much is Dame's past kind of informing what you're doing now?
2: I just, man, I think it's such bad juju to have your, your best player in franchise history leave on a bad note. And I know that there's, like, no cap accounting for these types of things, but I know that Scoot Henderson is watching what's going on. I know that Shannon Sharp is watching what's going on. You're going to want to retain those guys, and they're going to be looking at how you treated the best player in franchise history. Maybe free agents might not be. I don't think Portland is the type of team that needs to be, you know, watching out to see if, like you know, Joel Embiid is, is no.
1: well, yeah, they've like, you never, know, it's they've just like. They've never signed anybody exactly. and they never will. Like, it's not like nobody wants to go to, you know, Indiana necessarily. They're still getting workouts. Nobody, you know, doesn't mm-hmm. want to go to San Antonio just because they didn't trade Kawhi to where he wanted to go. I, I, I just think some of that stuff, yeah, maybe Scoot and those guys look at it. But at the same time, they're like, oh, this team actually went all in to build an optimal situation around us. And Mm -hmm. our futures, they're actually invested in us instead of looking backward. I I mean, I think it could be viewed both ways. I'm sure some of those guys would feel both ways. Scoot would probably share those feelings simultaneously.
2: I'm honestly fascinated to see what this next generation of superstars is going to operate like, because I think what we've seen from the player power era is that getting to do what you want doesn't necessarily get you what you want, right? Like... James Harden three trade requests three years Kyrie <laughs> KD yeah uh, PG has ended up in the city that he wants to be in like they haven't really they haven't figured out the championship end of it uh, LeBron for the most part it's worked out but it's not this end all be all situation it's just a matter of it's a matter of having the agency to make your own mistakes really which hey like that's all any of us can ask for in life like I think you have a right to that but at the same time I do wonder if you know a guy like i'm really curious like what does a guy like tyrese halliburton who just you know extended in indiana what does he make of these sort of like multiple sort of operating options that you have as a superstar because this is really like these guys that have been doing it this time around they're like the new era right and they they were almost like the guinea pigs for all of this right and we've seen it go in so many different directions um and, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just – I'm really curious what, like, even just a guy like Scoot Henderson thinks because we don't know ultimately, but I'm sure, you know, the they're watching, you know.
1: And for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I think part of it, you know, kind of gets lost in the conversations we're talking about Dame and what he wants – it's not like hero, you know. He removes the heat from his social media profiles. It's not like Duncan Robinson, Kyle Lowry, whoever it is. with these guys have much of a say in the matter either? I, I like for yeah. Me- there's like
2: ten players in the league that oh, really get to, sure.
1: yeah. It's such a limited amount, mm-hmm. and sometimes, occasionally, like Bradley Beal, you luck, it, you luck out, can, can negotiate your mm-hmm. way into a no trade clause. Bradley Beal could end up either being the final no trade clause, considering that the Wizards had no leverage at all, or he's going to set the precedent. Like, let's say Beal goes where he wants. He goes to the Suns for, you know, pick swaps. It wasn't a great deal necessarily for the Wizards. They got the most that they could. And then if Dame doesn't get what he wants, he goes to say San Antonio, Utah, whatever it might be. I wonder if that could then make these these top 5 to 10 players we're talking about in the league they may be saying, "I need a no trade clause yeah. to stay here or I will leave for somewhere else." Mm-hmm. Maybe it goes the other way where we get more no-trade clauses after we see Beal get what he wants and Dame doesn't get what he wants. That's very possible as well, that that could be the future. Um, But for these teams with the new CBA uh, and the amount of money that's out there right now for some of these players, the rising salary cap, that's what Dame's camp is kind of hoping prevent some of these other teams from, you know, deciding. Hey, we want to get Damian Lillard. He's four years left. He's in his mid thirties. He's one year removed from having abdomen surgery. They, they like they hope Miami will be the only team willing to take on his two hundred million dollars over the next four years because nobody wants to hit the second apron except for the Phoenix Suns. I don't know though. I think Dean, Like if, if I'm San Antonio, not worried. If I'm San Antonio, see <laughs> it. Yeah, I want to optimize Victor Wembanyama. And the way to optimize Victor is to give him arguably the best offensive talent in all of basketball, and somebody who can be a leader and give that franchise even more of a direction and help them win. Now, Wemby himself said lottery night in his interview, you know, from France with Brian Windhorst, "I'm trying to win a championship ASAP." Mm-hmm. The Spurs, if they were to get Dame, if Victor Wembanyama is going to be one of the best defenders in basketball right away, right away, he's going to be one of the best defenders. They have good wings, Devin Vassell. They could, I assume, could keep Sohan in a deal like that as well. If they traded a picks-heavy deal with Keldon Johnson and got Dame, like I said earlier, they'd still have a bunch of other assets to go out and make another move. And so for San Antonio, would they be better than Miami on paper? No. But could they be better from Miami, better than Miami very soon? Yes, they, they could be. And with the Spurs, I I am just intrigued by that. I'm intrigued by all the the noise around there I'm intrigued by them still having their cap space they they're trying to do something with that, and maybe it's just being the team that gets hero that could be the case too, but San Antonio is a interesting variable in this
2: they are they're yeah they're they're fascinating i I actually really like him as a maxi destination too, but the one thing about about Dame and San Antonio that's really interesting to me is obviously like we've heard all of these sort of rumblings like dame is just has the utmost respect for the organization. You could totally see that from the type of guy he is. He would fit really well. Played
1: with Pop, Team USA. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. Um, but so that podcast where he talked about Miami being one of the t- places that he'd love to go to because Bam is his guy mm-hmm. and Brooklyn because Mikhail is his guy. Brooklyn, I don't think, is a team that we talk about enough in the Dame yeah. sweepstakes. They could do kind of a similar thing. Um, they have a ton of picks. I think they could, like... I don't know if they could pull off, like, a Dame and Pascal Siakam situation. Be forgotten they could. They've been forgotten. In yeah. all of it. Like, they yeah. like, they were
1: the other team Dame mentioned he'd be open to going to. Yeah. Now they're yeah. not then, part of it, but they, they're they probably number two.
2: Yeah, yeah. and they, I mean, they, they could make a really good deal for it. But, like, with the with the Spurs, you know, that podcast that he was on, one thing that he talked about with the culture of the UNBA um, was that it's not necessarily the player's fault that it's this way. Um, it's that, that you know from a very young age they get told that they are going to be all of that they become entitled from a young age to, to basically get the keys to a franchise from the moment that they get get there and he actually brought up Wembanyama and basically said that like everybody is saying that he is going to be the guy when he hasn't even played a basketball game yet so that kind of makes me question whether or not Dane would necessarily be looking at victor i mean obviously i'm sure you know he's seen him play we've all seen him play like you said defensively immediate impact friday in vegas yes yes (laughs) oh man yeah 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 happy Wemby day to all those who celebrate (laughs) (laughs) um but i i'm curious about what that fascination actually means, because this is a young team at the end of the day. And the other thing that Dame said in his exit interview, I'm not, I don't really have the appetite for, to wait around for guys who need two or three years to be ready. So I don't necessarily see him as being the type of basketball mind that looks at any rookie, even if it's the most anticipated rookie that we've had since LeBron James and saying, Oh, he's immediately going to be ready. So I have, I just have questions
1: about that. I mean, there's no doubt Miami is the best fit for Damian Lillard. It's just a matter of, will Miami be able to put together the package that is the best trade for Portland? Maybe we'll find out today, July 6th. Maybe this is going to linger for another month because you can't trade Jamei Hakez, who's been great in the California Classic. (laughs) You can't (laughs) trade him for 30 days because he signed his rookie deal. Uh, We'll be back talking about some of those rookies.
0: This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus view it's historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com.
1: Welcome back to beyond the arc here. It's here at Sohi from the ringer.com. See so it? Summer League in Las Vegas starts on Friday. It's been happening this past week. The California Classic, Utah Summer League. The NBA, before we get to some of the players, the NBA is experimenting with a new anti flopping. Rule. They have a flopping penalty now that they're testing out where the opposing team is awarded one free throw. Referees are not required to stop play for the flopping violation. They can wait until there's a the next ne- neutral opportunity. They can wait till dead balls, timeouts, for that free throw to recur. What are your thoughts on the NBA actually trying to crack down on flopping? Do you believe that they will actually be successful in doing this? And what does it mean for the future of Marcus Smart? <laughs> <laughs>
2: It was the right time for Boston to get off his yeah, contract. It was. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I, I think they would I think they would have had like gotten like one less pick yeah. if, uh, if if this rule came before. Um, I mean, I like it. I like that they're doing it. Uh, I think there's just way too much flopping in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it could have some really interesting consequences for a guy that we're going to talk about, uh, Chet Holmgren, because I was watching watching his first summer league game and. This has been the story with him last summer league too. I think we see it with Wembenyama as well, where when you get like those bigger, stockier guys on him and they get a post-up, it, sometimes it feels like Chet's only recourse is to take a hit to the chest and fall. And I'm not even necessarily mm-hmm. saying that he's flopping. He could actually just be falling there. Um, and it's like regardless of whether he he's in good position or not, those calls, I think, are going to just look a little bit different if the NBA actually institutes this. It. So it actually, it has implications for the Thunder in general, like sure. the number one charge-taking team in the league, but also just modern defense as well, just like with how important rotational defense has become. You look at a team like Miami that, you know, doesn't necessarily protect the rim in a traditional way. If they actually go ahead and you know we see less of this maybe we see less charges we 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 see that stuff being incentivized less like, i don't know it's it's going to be fascinating to see how defenses react
1: yeah i know i think for defenses when it comes to you know flopping and like kind of you you run through a screen and you you act like it was a moving screen even mm-hmm. though it wasn't does this just create another 50-50 call that referees don't know like you just don't know sometimes block or charge it's it's very hard to know yeah uh, i i think it's going to be tough for officials i uh, part of me wonders I would love the league to, you know, you kind of have that guy watching from Socacus mm-hmm. like they can watch the replays during dead time and really, you know, figure out was this a flop or not, and and then the kind of you can make the call there, say, hey, during this commercial break, you know, this mm-hmm. is, this was a flop, confirmed. And then, you know, the free throw can happen Mm -hmm. while nobody's watching, you know, during the break. Because you also don't want to break up the pace of play. Yeah. And you don't want to add more, you know, dead time with someone standing at the free throw line for these, you know, additional free throws. You want to keep the game moving. You want the game to get quicker. Baseball has become a much more enjoyable, consumable sport for a lot of people. And, and because of what they've done with the pitch clock and trying to increase the pace of game, the NBA, they need to be thinking what is the most aesthetically pleasing product for people to, you know, consume when they're at home and they have mm. all these choices with Netflix and FanDuel TV. You can you can do whatever you want to do. You don't have to tune into an NBA game live.
2: Yeah, why would you watch basketball? Yeah. We can just watch us talking about <laughs> yeah. basketball, right? Like, what's the,
1: what's exactly, boy, right? Yeah. yeah. Why, why would you ever do that? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, ultimately, like, I think for the league, I hope I hope that doesn't become you know a detriment to the mm-hmm. enjoyment of the game. But for the NBA overall, though, getting flopping out is the priority because yeah. anytime I talk to casual NBA fans, people who who tune in for a big game or tune in for just the finals, I ask them a lot of the time, what, why don't you watch over the course of the season? And one of the most popular things people say is the flopping. They say it's annoying. Players flop all the time. There's too many whistles, too many stoppages. Mm -hmm. I think the NBA needs to listen to those fans because hardcore fans, we're tuning in no matter what. We're going to enjoy games even when there's terrible calls throughout. At the end when it's good, we're happy and we get a smile on our face. But Mm -hmm. those casual fans are the ones that you need to turn into hardcore fans in order to continue growing the game as much as you can.
2: Yeah, and maybe, maybe that's part of the NBA's calculus, too, because I think when they released uh, the rules, they also mentioned that refs don't have to call those immediately. They can actually clock yes. those, and then they can figure it out at the break. So I love the idea of incorporating Sakakis into mm-hmm. it. They can take a much closer look at it, see if it's being faked at all, and, yeah, then come back at the break, have the announcement, sure, like, yeah, this this guy got a flopping call. It's also, it's embarrassing, and I think that could be a big deterrent.
1: Le- feel, leading like, the league in flops? Yeah.
2: Yeah, like if you end up being a guy that gets called for too many flops, like I could see that being a deterrent for players. Publicly you know, you just don't want to be seen. Is, is that like, what you're suggesting? Like, like I don't, I don't love public <laughs> shaming, but I feel like as a society, it's become like our biggest way to deter any bad behavior. I don't necessarily want to play into that too much, but at the same time, if it could improve the product (laughs) and we're already kind of stuck
1: in this place, we might as well use
2: it. Like I like me, do the ends justify the means? I don't, I don't know. I don't know.
1: I I think, I think a simple announcement, uh, on Twitter or, or, you know, threads whatever whatever mm-hmm. the app of the day may be um i think that could be enough and and deterring players saying jeez i'm leading the league in flops this is the 12th time this year i've been penalized and gave you up." you call points. it the
2: marcus smart
1: award give it oh, to someone at the end of the year that, that would be funny that'd be a good yeah. bit we should do that next season should, yeah. the arc. and i think it's important <laughs> it's so important for the nba right now to improve the game in that sense because there's so many amazing players mm-hmm. like we have so many amazing players already in the league then you look at Summer League, and you mentioned Chet Holmgren. He's back this year. He gets hurt before last season. He didn't even get to play his rookie year. You got Chet, Victor Wembanyama, all these other great rookies, Scoot Henderson, who's so lovable on Portland. brandon Miller, six foot nine, playmaking, you know, shot making wing forward player. There's like so many other good rookies. Jame Haquez with the heat mm-hmm. already impressing. Up and down the line in the first and second round, there's guys that are that their fan bases are going to fall in love with, but those yeah. big names, yeah. the Chets of the world and the Victors of the world, those are the players yeah. where I think you got to get people tuning in because yeah. they're, they're such enjoyable players. Man, you
2: know the NBA just got to love, like they have to love the chokehold that they have over July and oh, June yeah. at this point, like the finals leading into the draft, into free agency, into trade season. It's just, I mean, I know, I know that they talk about maybe they don't want all the drama and they pretend that they don't like tampering, but... It's just it's yeah. great for the NBA and su- and summer league now too has just become summer league has just become such a huge event. Like what was what was your first, first summer league?
1: Um, I think it was maybe twenty fifteen. No, maybe it wasn't until I was with the Ringer. Maybe it was twenty seventeen. I think it might have been twenty seventeen. Okay. That was my first one actually. So that was the Lonzo year.
2: That was Lonzo. Okay, yeah. so that was okay. my first. Yeah, that was my first. That one, w- yes. that was. I feel like that was kind of that that was when summer league kind of crossed the rubicon it was, was kind of crazy that year you had all these fans drive out from LA it was like mm-hmm. there was a, like all these huge basketball fans basically making like the summer pilgrimage yes. to vegas which is a place that you know you put anything in vegas it's been like the beauty of having sports in vegas like i'm i'm from edmonton Every time the Oilers play there, like there's a year that it was Connor McDavid's birthday, and there were just a whole bunch of deals. Like you, you partner up with an airline, and you're like, okay, yeah, it's going to cost you this much <laughs> and this much to get tickets and, and a hotel, and it's Vegas, so people are going to yeah. want to go anyway. So just the fact that summer league is in Vegas, genius. And then these, these like last few years, you know, like the amount of hype there is Zion year, Zion year. The, the earthquake. Oh man, that mm, was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: the... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't yeah. feel the earthquake that year. I was walking out of the arena to record oh, podcast you were? while, oh, while, man. while the jumbotron was shaking. I didn't get to see it. Oh,
2: that was crazy. Uh, Everybody's like looking uh, up at it, but like, there's always something happening. Don't get one this year. I really, Yeah. <laughs> hopefully. I mean, there's an earthquake a couple, like a couple and days ago. Go, yeah. Yeah. I, felt, I mm-hmm. felt it in Los Feliz. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like you know, the hype builds and builds every year. Last year, it was <clears throat> it was Chet. This year with w- yama it's going to be crazier than ever. um And it's just awesome for the NBA, you know. And it feels like it's just getting bigger and bigger.
1: With all these, you know, you're talking to like big names, very, like literally big players. Victor yeah. Wembenyama, Chet Holmgren. We just see Jokic win the title. Mm-hmm. Giannis has has won. Uh, Embiid. There's all these great bigs in the league, and they all have like different styles. And with Chet and Victor, they're kind of they're more similar in mm-hmm. a way. I mean, Wemby is potentially the best defensive prospect we've ever seen. Offensively, we'll see how his game progresses over the course of time. But Chet, this week in the Cal and in, in, in his summer league games so far, he looks like a more developed version of himself after the slow start he had in his first game. I mean, attacking closeouts, mm. two-handed blocks at the basket. He's a bit stronger, added thirteen pounds of muscle. Chet and Wemby, those two, going toe-to-toe over the course of the season. Uh, I I, I hope to see them match up multiple times, and they could be the leading candidates for Rookie of the Year, potentially.
2: Yeah. I mean, what what a strange, strange, amazing game this is Mm -hmm. becoming, you know? Like, when you watch both of those guys play... I feel like they are going to shrink the geometry of the court. Like, this is the answer to the three-point revolution, essentially, right? Like, you watch... I watch Wemby block a pull-up three, three-pointer. three It never gets old. It just yeah. never gets old. Because, like, there's always that element. <laughs> he does it a lot. And there's always mm-hmm. this element I'm surprised to. We're like, Really? Like, really, he got all the way out there? And it's like, yeah. And, like, the players still are surprised, too. Like, that's why they that's why they try. Like, they're yeah. still shooting those shots. And with Chet, man, like, just the rim protection. Like, there, there was a play in his first summer league game where he came down the weak side, third quarter. I think it was his last block of the game. He blocks a shot. And then on the next play, all he has to do is kind of be near the rim. And yeah. it just gets the Jazz to basically just, like, they just turn around. You know, like... Guard's not going to drive into that the second time in a row. Um, and just, like, the the extent to which both those guys can be deterrent by the fact that we know that they can be in two places at once. Like, Wemby takes it to a whole new level. Like, he he rotates from areas that, like, I didn't think it was possible to rotate from, you know? Like, being up at the free throw line and then, like, being able to block a shot to, like, you know, being on the baseline by the paint to blocking a three-pointer. Like, this is basically... The things that we have asked Big men to do, we've asked it of, like, Rudy Gobert. We've asked it of DeAndre Ayton. Um, and at their best moments, we've asked it of Giannis. And Giannis is probably, like, the one guy, like, okay, yeah, like, he can get there mm-hmm. more often than anybody else. But, you know, you add a couple extra inches on there and just, like, Wemby's defensive instincts. And I don't know. I just get I get so excited about seeing where the future of the game is going. And then even just on the offensive end, like – I was listening to the JJ Reddick podcast and Wembenyama talks about the guys he's been watching the most in the last four years, Giannis, Katie, Jokic, and Embiid, (laughs) like four, seven footers that are kind of like building out their own pathway Mm -hmm. to, you know, like the future of what bigs can do in this league. Those are the guys that he's watching. And he has little bits of every single one of those guys games, you know, like obviously Jokic's playmaking is not something that he can, anybody can replicate, yes. but he's a good playmaker.
1: Kind of like step shooting. You just have exactly. like, have a, a That's a gift. once in a lifetime yes. thing. Yep.
2: But like we've seen with the rest of the league, they have adapted some of those principles, right? So Wemby is a guy can, that can do that. He loves to shoot like he's Kevin Durant. The percentages aren't there yet, but you know, I, I love the free throw percentage. I love, 80 plus percent. Yeah. Yeah. He's good for mid range. And he's also just like, I love the touch and he's just so fluid in his ball handling. That's like oh, the it's that's one underrated yeah. aspect of his wingspan too. It's like we talk about how good it's going to be on the defensive end, but the fact that he can get
0: the ball <laughs> so low
2: before <laughs> at know. the same time. So like <laughs> he has all these elements, right? We don't know what it's going to be. I don't want to put too much on it either, but it's just really exciting to think about.
1: It's I think Friday night in Las Vegas, assuming he plays, which all indications are that he will. Mm-hmm. It, it is going to be a special night in the same way that back in October it was seeing Wemby play against Scoot Henderson. And that arena, Scoot versus Wemby, was pretty empty. There just wasn't a lot of people there. It was, you know, it was a lot of NBA people, but not a lot of fans. Mm-hmm. It just kind of came up. Tickets came out a week prior. But now that you're drafted in the NBA, you've proven it over a full season. You played every game for the Mets 92, and you were an absolute dominant force and led this team with like a $3 million payroll all the way to the finals mm-hmm. in France. Now everybody realizes, oh, this is real. This is the real deal after seeing a year of this guy. And now in summer league playing for the Spurs, opening night against the number three pick in the draft, and then if he plays on Sunday against Scoot Henderson with a rematch, I hope he plays both games. It could be a special weekend for the NBA, putting, you know, the future. Victor Wemanyama, he's part of a trend with all these bigs you're talking about with their different styles. But I, a part of me wonders, is this the beginning of where – a bunch of bigs are gonna be like this in the new generation, or is this just a wave we have? Mm-hmm. I just think with the way the game has changed, bigs nowadays are doing all the drills guards have always done. They're shooting the ball, even though they might be, you know, in fifth grade and they're the, the by far the tallest kid in their class, that they're not just playing near the basket anymore. Everybody's doing everything on the court. That is what basketball has become. And and I think what that's what we just see today with the players that we have, and this is where the game is going.
2: Yeah, it's it's amazing to see. I feel like the the two things. Well, the, the biggest thing is just going to be injury, right?
1: That's yeah, that's like, the big one.
2: We've seen it with a lot of big players. Like we saw it with Kristaps Porzingis. We saw it with Anthony Davis. Like these guys that do have the mobility and the height at the same time, they do have a harder time staying healthy. Obviously, Chet has missed some time. Wemby has his own injury. In Uh, NBA history,
1: it's littered with guys who are like over seven foot three. The Yao Ming, uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, like Sabonis, a A ton of guys that are just super, super tall have had injuries in their careers. Manute Bowl in the 90s.
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's why we're all watching mm-hmm. like these these videos of what Wembenyama does with his feet, right? Like that's where <laughs> yeah, we're at. Like we want feet pics of Victor Wembenyama, basically at this point. Yeah. I mean, he does
1: it <laughs> every, every pregame court side. He, he's like goes on through his whole routine. Like they they definitely that's the one reason to feel optimistic. He's you know a teenager, and they're making this unbelievable investment into his body. Mm-hmm. And this past year, aside from one game early in the year when he when he missed a little bit of time. He's played every night yeah. and he's a physical player. He's a tough player. And you know, you mentioned that interview with JJ, he's a determined player with the right mindset. And Mm -hmm. if you're betting on character and personality, he, he has a vision for what his future is going to look like. And I, I'm very excited. Summer league will be there this weekend with beyond the arc. You'll be there with the ringer. I'm Mm -hmm. super, super excited to be talking to you, talking to players, talking to other ringer people. Vegas is going to be great, Sarah. Thank you for coming on today.
2: Yeah, it could be the biggest weekend in, uh, summer league history Hell very exciting yes yeah. thanks for having up. me
1: thank you for coming on